Turns out he's a major cinephile. They don't watch enough movies! It's a very simple formula! And here we go. Festive fans, we're here for another fun-filled, frightful episode. Y'all already know what it is. <laughs> Friday the 13th time. Yeah, it is a few days later, but it is a Friday. So that will have to count as something. We are diving into one of the most well-known franchises in the slasher genre of all time. Outside of Scream, this was the first classic that got me into the cheesies 80s slasher fun. Eventually, I would dive into Halloween, but we'll save that for another episode. And I'm sure you can guess when it's going to happen. And what a day to talk about this because two big stories coming out this week amazon is developing a tv adaptation to i know what you did last summer technically this is a trilogy but you can really stick with the first one maybe the second one if you're dying for it but the direct to dvd third one absolutely useless don't watch it high hopes for the more slasher tv shows outside of scream and i guess netflix's slasher which is for me pretty inconsistent there's not really a lot in this genre so i'd like to see but Even more exciting, Dexter with Michael C. Hall is coming back for a 10-episode limited series on Showtime. I may have to invest in a Showtime account (laughs) to watch this in 2021. Fall 2021 is when it's coming out. Maybe they can find a way to properly wrap this story up. Lumberjack Dexter, it's not the ending we needed or deserved. I really hope we get an ending similar to Breaking Bad. Spoiler alert here, it's old, but I will throw it out nonetheless some way to end it where maybe he gets killed off saving his family hopefully with Harrison his son and Hannah McKay being involved somehow I mean look I want everyone to come back obviously I mean imagine if they made Deb appear like his adopted dad does as those visions he talks to but enough about Dexter this episode is for Jason Crystal Lake shout out New Jersey and all the 80s cheddar you could ask for so the OG Friday the 13th I feel like I might get some flack for this, but I don't think this movie stands to the test of time that you would think it should. The first Halloween is notorious for not having a high body count, but the scares, the atmosphere, and the acting are still super strong, and the character development is on point. One of the main issues with this franchise as a whole is you never really get to know most of the characters. I initially thought any, but you get to know a few, and it must be known by now. This movie is the only one in the franchise that does not feature Jason, and that is to some detriment looking back on the franchise as a whole. The acting is not particularly strong in this movie, but it's almost too funny. Like, there's a sense of humor because it's so cheesy and with the acting being kind of bad, especially the dialogue, obviously. I love the first part where the girl's talking to the dog, asking, how far is it to camp? And, like, she answers her own question. Oh, that far, huh? <laughs> like, what were they thinking? Like, I, it's just a strange thing. Crazy Ralph is an absolute gem. I feel like all the town scenes in the beginning are something special in this, and in all the right ways. Like, I'll say this, he's also a trope that was adapted ever since to this genre of kind of the crazy old man doomsayer and sadly he personally is not a franchise staple but they pretty much do wholesale cast swap outs every film but his type of character is around a few more times in this franchise and I only just noticed this but the guy in town drops her off near a cemetery how about that for some quality foreshadowing there are some 
with the writing being what it is, I think the original like Resident Evil games had the same thing of the writing being so bad, but it's funny because of that. And quotes galore here for sure. Sometimes I just think about kissing women. I mean, <laughs> I know it's out of context, but like, who <laughs> who talks like that? I mean, maybe teens talk like that in the 80s, but like, I don't think so. No one really talks like that. It's like the drill sandwich line. I mean, come on. Also, how about super young Kevin Bacon in this movie? I mean, that's a pretty strong nod in the plus column for me. I mean, at the time, he was a no-name actor. And this movie, actually, Bing Crosby's son, Harry, was the big draw for the film. Kevin Bacon is mostly known for his footloose cut loose stuff but you know he's actually been in more thrillers and horrors since then including the original flatliners movie as well as the criminally underappreciated canceled three season fox thriller with sean asmore it's the following and apparently fun fact for all you slasher movie fans out there apparently the following storyline could have been adapted and was initially thought about being a part of the scream film franchise which i you know thinking about combining those two that would be pretty interesting but we will see what our latest Scream film is when it does eventually come out with all the original casting. But back to Friday the 13th, I can't not be a bit bummed out thinking how amazing the, the Halloween musical theme is. It's catchy, it's spooky, it's not too annoying, and Friday the 13th, at least especially early on, the music is kind of generic and doesn't really do anything for you. I feel like the ki-ki-ki, ma-ma-ma thing is really the, like, thing that's known but there's not really a music that i could identify as saying oh that's that's friday 13th it never really jumps out at you the tension is good in this scene with annie and it's clear why no one is going too fast so you're not expecting like a marathon sprinter as your killer or something too unbelievable and they do a really good job about hiding the killer now when they filmed it it's because they didn't have their mrs Voorhees initially chosen so they were hiding their killer until they had a cast but part of the allure, I mean, if you're going back to this watching, you're like, oh, it's Jason, it's Jason. Surprise, it's not, right? And that's a pretty good surprise, unless you obviously know that's his mom, that's his mom. But we'll get to some of the logistical things in a second. I wonder, though, when you watch it, maybe I watched it differently than other people did. But when you see everyone else is pretty much dead and they introduce a brand new character late into the film, you got to think, well, I kind of know who the serial killer is. If there's only two people left standing and one we just met. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think having her come up in the car helps a little bit. But like I said, there are some amazing quotes in this movie. The best has to be uh, there's a cop who does a, I'll call it a small monologue about drugs. And it's like, what you been smoking, boy? What, you get off the spaceship or something? Come on, Colombian gold man, hash the grass, the weed, dig it. <laughs> I mean, that might be one of the best quotes in the movie. And I almost forgot, I actually had to be reminded of this rewatching it strip monopoly the rules are wild and they do explain it and like i love when they try to make things like this that are dated and cheesy like they're still kind of funny i mean who would think about strip monopoly as a game it'd be the worst game to ever play since no one even wants to finish it anyway I, i'd be annoyed probably playing this not gonna lie the first movie has to be as known for the surprise killer reveal as the kevin bacon kill which was still pretty good right up till the part when you realize that the body the latex body has a different skin pigmentation from the head of actual kevin bacon still amazing for the time and even now and i've seen this movie three or four times and i just noticed this on this rewatch and I don't know if I'll ever be able to unsee it because it's a pretty distinct pigmentation difference. I have to say, it really does have good special effects. 
the axe kill right after is quite good and all the credit in the world to Tom Savini and what he was able to do at that time on low budget and how his reputation grew as these effects became more elaborate and memorable and there are many memorable parts to this movie but I love how casual the camp director is meeting Pamela aka a trespasser in his campground and in the first two these are campgrounds so like there should be some responsibility not just random people milling around he just walks up and he sees that who this person is he's just like oh hi and steps aggressively forward to her. I mean, I know this is why she's such a good killer, being so unassuming, but like they say on Monday Night Football Countdown, come on, man. Only in 2020 would I say it. But some of these movies give us strong (laughs) Among Us vibes. You're doing little tasks and fixing things, all the power goes out. You gotta go go fix the power, and it's kind of like that. But unfortunately, there's no way to win for the counselors, the campers, in Friday the 13th. I'll say this, even too, like, I know we've spoken a little bit about Tom Sweeney, but like, honestly, the Bill Death reveal, still very good, but I noticed this thing when Bridget gets thrown through the window, she does like a little movement. Gotta imagine that's an actor thing, not a movie plot point thing. It's not like, oh, she is alive. Just turning this out there, if Pamela Voorhees is, is the killer, which obviously she is, she has some hardcore mom strength yeeting this girl through the window. Alice, who's our final girl here, could have gotten out of this numerous times, but we have this hilariously long chase scene and like yes seeing the macabre kills is great but it's done so early and it's more like hide and go seek at a point i mean some of the final fight choreography nowadays is like pretty funny like and there's also this trope of even though this mom has no superpowers she is left taken out like thrice before losing her head literally betsy palmer is super good as miss Voorhees in this and seeing that like that turn from kind and caring to over-caring mother who will kill for her dead child. I mean, look, that's a pretty motivational relationship. That's a pretty relatable motivation when you think about it, you know, a mom avenging her, her child, but it's obviously sensationalized in its portrayal and media. And <laughs> I don't know how I feel about those extreme face close-up dissolves at the end when she's is just a little too weird when she's talking to herself and it's just really too tight and once again she's like hella strong like she must have been going to planet fitness regularly before this and setting off that lunk alarm on more than one occasion so part two does start off with something that i don't love about this franchise and it's they love to start these movies off with like deep flashbacks like you know it's not a few bits here and there it's like almost the last five minutes of the previous film are somehow having to be included in the sequel i mean if especially watching it now i hate it maybe at the time you know it was good to get a refresher i don't know but in this age of modern binging that is a very annoying thing it's like when netflix does the you know last season thing or the like last episode recap and you can skip it which is great but you know i get it things are dated but looking back in where i am in 2020 now super annoying and useless seeing it and it's weird that you can't go five minutes into a film without seeing any new footage also it cannot be a reference to a tv miniseries that would not come out for until nine years later or be written for four years but the kids singing the drain walking in the rain i got some serious it vibes i was waiting for something but i did check and look it up that was not a thing until a couple years later other than flashbacks alice is one of the few non-vorhees characters featured in multiple films beside crazy ralph and tommy jarvis who i would say he's the closest thing this series has to a recurring character because the other two are swiftly killed off in this movie also in killing alice for some weird reason we see a shot of him moving a tea kettle after like why is he just gonna make some tea after killing also this music is still 
mad annoying. And they literally blow up the logo in the sequel because why not? It's super epic to blow things up. I was most excited for Kevin Bacon because of who he was in the first one. But based on introductions, I was all about goofball guy Ted throughout this movie. So the campfire intro scene is great as it is. But they use it for like the next three or four movies to come. The intros of these movies get a little bit lazy and super flashbacky. Also, Ted is amazing in this scene too. It's kind of like Shelly in part three, the goof. He's way more likable, the Ted variant of this archetype. Also, this leads into some interesting movie tropes being subverted a little bit in the genre. So picture this, the drunken jokester who openly and publicly makes fun of the legacy of the masked killer, who at one point is off drinking alone. What are the odds he makes it out of any movie in this genre? We don't have to be a slasher genre expert to know that this character would not make it out in 99% of these movies. But in this one, somehow, he does. Not by fighting the killer. He does not run away and twist his ankle. Instead, he's off at a bar with a ton of, I'd said underdeveloped, not even remotely developed characters who are never seen again. This is one of those few movies in the franchise where most of these characters, like at least half make it out alive but ted is the only one who's fairly explored and he is but ted is the only one who's at least fairly explored and he's just gone and lived to tell the tale normally the rules dictate that drinking is against the rules and by extension a sin to be punished like sex but ted is actually saved by his solo binge drinking I mean, I'm sure he has a hangover like hell, but it's better than a game over, you know, because he'd be dead otherwise. Thankfully, Muffin the dog makes it out, which it looks like she did not for the longest time in the film. Although the music hit makes it feel like maybe it's a dream sequence and we don't see Paul and it's assumed he died with the Pamela Voorhees head. Likewise, it's assumed Muffin did not make it, which is super sad. Apparently, there was an alternate ending where the Pamela Voorhees head like laughs, which might be too weird, but so is this whole franchise. Let's go into the assumption that Muffin the dog lived to tell the tale and everything was fine. That's how I go about it. So you thought the strange sexualizing of random games was over? Ha! Fat chance that is apparently a staple of the franchise this one is using i guess some old portable game system with sports to figure out who gets to be on top so obviously the bar scene is amazing but if i can ever be an extra in a movie i really hope it's like a background dancer in a movie from the 80s since i can sway with the best of them so i don't know if you know any talent scouts out there are looking for a background extra who can really move and groove but if you do please reach out to my dms i would be thrilled for that opportunity. So I remember this movie actually feeling pretty clever with its relationship with psychology and trauma. Having our final girl Ginny start by teasing her psychology degree and following that up with the discussion of childhood trauma and the psychology of Jason if he exists, even though we have not yet discovered him. And how she defeats him in this movie is super strong and well written for me. Like I'd be curious to see how someone with a degree in this field thinks about the psychology and its discussion in this film. Straight up, I do not know how I feel about the counselor Mark's death. He's the one in the wheelchair. He broke the rules and was having a good time with the girls, but it's nice to know maybe that Jason is an equal opportunity killer when it comes to his counselors. And I'll say this, this is one of the highest rated kills in the entire franchise, and there's quite a few kills, obviously. It's up there with the eye popping out one in part three. It's the quickest throwaway line ever, and I definitely didn't notice it until this rewatch, but Paul, who's the headed adult in charge, quick throwaway line, these kids smoke better dope than me. Subtle. Perfection. Just a random one-off is thrown in there. 
is just a fun attention to detail. I really do like the Paul and Alice dynamic on this movie. Way better than the lead in the first or most of these movies. I feel like they have a really good chemistry in place. And also, lol at having Jason stand on a rickety chair to try to take out the final girl under the bed. Like, too funny when he falls. And we do have our first chainsaw wielder. Not the first time we'll see a final girl whip one of these out. So obviously the shrine of his dead mom and the quick thinking about making herself look like his mom, who he idolizes, and knowing he's at times a child in a killer's body and wearing the sweater, I mean, there's some amazing payoff and probably the most clever moment in the entire franchise. There's a ton of terrible slasher movies. This is not one of them and shows what the genre and the franchise can be and even at times what it was back then. So Friday the 13th, part three in 3D. Just throwing it out there, I said it already. Why do we need to recap a prior movie? What other franchise feels the need to do this so much? It is truly as infuriating as a musical annoyance themes. But actually, interestingly enough, when we actually do get to the theme music, that's teaser music when they're recapping, but the actual theme for this film is pretty good. It's amazingly 80s with all the synth glory and seeing the credits for Friday the 13th Part 3D start by coming out of Miss Voorhees' eyes. Beautiful. Like if there was one version of this theme I'd want on a party playlist, it would have to be this. And believe me, I will be trying to find this in the next few days or so so I can add it to my Halloween hits playlist on my iPhone. You're gonna have to get used to the 3D shot set pieces. I mean, it's part of the name in this movie. And there are some truly hilarious and goofy ones. They use a a yo-yo as a main element just just for this type of camera technique but the 3d harpooning eye gun is pretty good kill for this obviously the best one which i already talked about a little bit is watching rick's eye pop out in 3d now i will say this movie does start a dumb trend of bathroom humor that it's also found in one of the worst in the franchise a new beginning i remember really liking this movie to start chris was an awesome final girl shelly has moments but he does get on your nerves even though he is the reason for the iconic Jason Voorhees mask. For me, Chuck is the best thing to come out of this movie, having a true stoner kid. The scene where they're all driving from the cops and they have to eat weed, and one of the throwaway lines is, I'm allergic to weed. The crazy old guy in this one is good and weird, but like no one can really ever top crazy route. I kind of wish he had been a staple for a couple of these at least. But back to Chris, it's nice to have someone have a previous reference to a Jason encounter and some previous trauma. Somehow having some sense of connection to the franchise instead of dropping random characters into every film is a nice change of pace. The Shelley fakeouts are pretty good. The Shelley fakeouts are pretty much one of the main points in the film. Well, that and of course the amazing biker gang of you know Ali Fox and Loco who are memorable but put out of the picture pretty rapidly in short order. I do like when we have Allie in the final fight, even if it's just for a bit, just to stretch out a little bit more what the biker gang's a part of is in this movie. I feel like I have had much less to say about this movie than I thought I would. I, I like the teens. You can't really call them counselors in this or for a ton of them for coming on forward, actually. But they're a bit more unique from one another as opposed to the first two films, minus our two main leads in the second film. But they're not developed. They're unique, which is a nice change of pace though. I think therein lies a problem. I think three is fun, but I feel like rewatching these, the first two are just better movies, story and atmosphere wise, even if the kills are better in the third. Some of the kills are good, obviously, and the Chuck like fake scares and his death is just fun. 
as well as the eventual death of Shelley. I feel like there's that payout of everyone's expecting him to fake, to fake, to fake. And when he's actually dead, there he is. They don't believe him until it's too late. I really do wonder why we always see Jason place the bodies of the victims in such staged macabre ways. Like, does he get a hoot out of it or what? He never wins, but like, what's the end goal? Does he just chill with all these dead bodies in weird positions and that's it? Like, obviously we've never seen him win, but just, you know, you gotta wonder what would be the end goal if he did do what he had to do i have to say besides the mask it's nice to see that chris is also tasked with taking on jason primarily by herself like 98 percent solo i would say jason feels a little goofy in this one in the end he's in the house and he's just kind of like saying what's good uh climbing up the rope he's being hung on i will say it's a very fun like change of pace having his mom jump out of the water like he did in the first movie it's a nice little subtle shift Alright guys, we're at the last one, Friday the 13th, the final chapter. I couldn't even say it, seriously. We know there's so many movies in this franchise, but the fact that they named the fourth one the final chapter shows you where they were at. It's kind of fun. They take the campfire scene from two out of context. Once we get into the movie, I like the setup of Jason being dead and all that entails being taken to the morgue like it's exciting at the time of just being different so i don't necessarily love the time spent in the hospital it's over pretty quick though when we get right back to the newest crop of victims teens teens i will say the hospital stuff does have a little bit of the more overtly sexual for the sake of it and there's no real reason why which is a little annoying but once again we're out of the hospital pretty quick so this is one of the first times we've really met a whole family and it's a nice change of pace i feel like i really quickly bonded to the jarvis family tracy is cast great but trish and tommy played by a young Corey feldman steal the show the teen group is fine enough but the best member has to be crispin glover who has the best scene that we will talk about later i'd say hormonal Corey feldman is a bit overacted at times to say the least but it must be part of the cheesy fun of the 80s movies i suppose gordon does not feel like a dog name at all just throwing that out there but gordon looks like an amazing dog it's not clear but i like to think gordon makes it and didn't die because jason has a less than stellar record with animals don't like that so we're gonna assume if it's ever vague the dogs all make it obviously not gonna lie i get some serious hocus pocus vibes when tommy says some pack of patootsies huh i mean yabo is better but patootsies is still pretty good i stated this about the third one but it's nice to have a subtle reference to the franchise and having rob related to a character who died in the second one trying to hunt jason it's just it appreciating that world building even as subtle as it is honestly the tommy masking is a weird fun quirk that has some dividends later on in the film i don't think it has as many as it could but i will bring up an interesting point probably when i talk about the fifth one on this the best part of the movie and this is no I'm not overselling this, is the amazing Crispin Glover dance, the music, everything. It's a super 80s power rock ballad. Love is a lie. And it's like the nerdiest, quirkiest, most sporadic thing I have ever seen. I want to make a TikTok to this that will get maybe 130 views and two likes. I would love it though. I just can't match this level of energy from Crispin Glover yet. But I relate to his dancing so much and his nerdiness. And I know this is why I love this movie so much because of Crispin Glover. But watching this back, I really thought it was one of my favorites, like top two in the franchise. And it's still in the upper half. But it has so many weird tangents and over-sexual nature sometimes. It's just a little bit much. I will say, more on Crispin Glover, the corkscrew kill of how they get him is pretty sensational. Probably the strongest in the movie for sure. I don't know if it's the strongest in the franchise, but it's got to be in the top ten, I think. I also like how there's some semi-psychology in place here with Tommy making himself look like Jason to talk and lead him to his death. 
The PTSD kill stuff is interesting too with Tommy being forever altered by this moment in his life. There are definitely those Jamie from Halloween vibes and the arc is kind of there except for how much more Tommy is used in the later entry as opposed to Jamie. Even the special director's cut is pretty quickly thrown out the door. So we know Friday the 13th, A New Beginning, there's some issues. If you haven't heard by now, there's an inherent issue that everyone in the franchise who's a fan of it, who watches it, knows the having a copycat killer absolute worst only a few other films are worse than this one in this franchise so the start is nice having some idiots wake up jason from the dead and while this is a dream you have to love this pays off for him being an idiot in the following film actually being the one to cause jason to come back the setting of the rehabilitation camp is a bit too strange and we really took a deep dive away from the camp counselor setting that was so nice in the first two films this version of tommy is a bit weird but i have to say the inclusion of you know reggie is pretty fun easily he's one of the more exciting parts of the movie the rest of the teens are a bit whatever and this assortment is probably the weakest i would say knockoff carrie and even the manhattan one have at least more fun of a cast of characters this movie really does not have that ethel and jr are a weird addition to this I do like when Tommy yeets the guy and Reggie's grandfather is a nice and somewhat relatable character. I always find it kind of funny that the copycat killer Roy does not ever get revenge on the guy who killed his son. Vic goes to jail and Roy gets to kill him. It feels like this movie just throws random tropes in here and has a few greasers to kill off just to up the body count. Although the flare kill in the mouth and the greaser guy singing, there's some fun little sequences but fun doesn't necessarily always make a good overall project, a good product. Even if, you know, these are super useless things to the film. Kind of like the inclusion of his brother, the random field hand, the tangent to the diner. We're really just killing off random characters all over the place, and it's mostly a useless cast. There's another really weird fun dancing with Violet, and kind of like a sporadic robot to his eyes, and like, that's pretty good. I do like that scene. Same thing. There may be a couple of Friday the 13th TikToks coming in the next few weeks. We'll see what I can get around to. Some of the kills are pretty good. The belt one is something unique at least where it's like the belt on his eyes and it like twists it on the tree and it like pops like that. It's unique. It's different, right? But this film is trash. (laughs) And that kind of stinks because I like Pam and Reggie. They're nice ads to the franchise. It just so happens to be like a terrible movie. We do get another chainsaw used against Jason, which is fun at least, but something went wrong when they were making this movie. All right, we're on to part six jason lives i don't know how tommy didn't learn from his dream sequence from the previous movie not to mess with jason's grave but two guys digging up his body things go awry i appreciate punching a guy's heart out and the not so subtle james bond intro with the crosshairs and the machete slash it's fun it's tongue-in-cheek i will say this version of tommy jarvis portrayed by thaw matthews is the best by far and he has a fun cameo in a fan film never hike alone in the same role I like the horror movie reference, you know, seeing a guy in a mask and knowing what that normally means, but this information doesn't help and they do both die, not before a Dirty Harry reference, and a clear product placement of an American Express card. I gotta wonder how much money they spent on that. How about a fun fourth wall break in one of these too? With the gravedigger telling the audience, like, directly, some people 
have a sick sense of entertainment digging up a body. I mean, that's amazing. That's so tongue-in-cheek. And he's not crazy Ralph, but he's pretty good and seen a few times. And not just thrown in there, obviously he does die eventually. I know I've claimed the random things in the previous films with the background characters aren't good, but I don't know if it's just because it's so out of left field, but there's a paintball excursion that's amazing and it's not important to the plot at all, but like Jason just goes to town on a bunch of company execs out doing a team building thing. There's some dumb music, like yeets the guy so hard that his face splatters on tree and there's like a bloody smiley face it's just good how weird is it though that it took six movies to have counselors and campers in the same movie (laughs) maybe that's why i like this one so much it's what the franchise is all about and the unique trope of the final boy which is touched on in the fourth one ignore the fifth one and fully developed here in the sixth one is at play here with tommy jarvis being the closest thing we have to a face of the franchise outside of jason The thought goes a final girl is the opposite of the killer, pure and everything, where a final boy almost mirrors the killer in some ways and is a little bit has that inner darkness. Seeing these counselors who mostly have some distinguishing characteristics without outright being terrible people, it's nice. Like, I think there's one that's maybe not fully known or realized, but for the most part, you kind of at least get who you have. And I think because, I don't know why, it's like they're not really developed or anything either. You just, something's a little different there. The court music scene on the bus and almost getting out of the Jason thing is pretty good. And I think even seeing Jason take out cops, it's like a bit more of a challenge for him. And, you know, like movie cops, I think having our final girl be related to the sheriff and having him be explored and developed it's all great and he has a pretty strong fight with Jason and a pretty good death it might be one of the better Jason fights just having campers even provides real stakes that no other movie in this franchise deals with some movies have one kid or two kids but this one is a whole camp and all these plot points really just like come together the final showdown between Jason, Tommy, and Megan, it's easily the most exciting in the franchise. Fighting in the water, and there's a boat with fire all around, and he's trying to put some chains on Jason to sink into the sea. I mean, it's a visually climactic battle, and it has to be the most visually exciting, excluding some of the Jason X things, which is is a stupid movie, but pure madness. And I think I forgot how much Megan did in helping with the boat propeller. Like, dang, like using that thing on his head and wild and even the kids having some lines and like personalities was like a big pro strat there's the girl who's scared and keeps seeing jason and the two boys who have that fun little quote of like what were you gonna be when you grew up like they're always doom and gloom it's just it feels like it's the most flushed out movie in the franchise and i wish i could say two was two because i really do like two but when you ignore half your counselors and you don't really see them they're just there to exist it's tough okay friday the 13th part 7 the new blood Sadly, we're back to random scenes from all these movies to start the movie. Sadly, we are done with Tommy Jarvis, officially at least. The beginning and watching Tina kill her abusive dad is a great way to kick things off, and they of course find some way to be on the same lake where Jason was locked down there as well. I like that there's a psychology aspect here in play with knockoff Carrie, aka Tina, and this starts a trend of more like unlikable adult characters being featured in these films. I feel like all the moms are the same. They're nice. They're likable, and they're going to die eventually. I feel like the cast of teens is pretty good in this one. It's a bit more flushed out other than some of the earlier ones. And I feel like this movie teeters on the edge of the better ones and the worst ones in the franchise. It's a bit too weird, but not outright bad or too zany like Jason Goes to Space. Also with the weird film kid being a standout and a few more unique teen girls than in other movies in the franchise. Also, there's a really nice romance with Tina and Nick, and it's kind of heartwarming. 
it feels like they finally ended up killing all the people they have in their movies at this point. Unlike in, you know, the second one where they have half the people living to tell the tale and not even realizing what happened. I appreciate Tina's mom finding out that the therapist has some terrible self-serving goals. Like, this is not a bad movie. Heck, some of the silly ones I still like, but just missing something that makes it slightly average. I do not know all these characters' names. I never do. But I feel like, you know, I know who they all are and all the kills are amazing. Some of the outdoor van ones are truly special. But like straight up, Melissa is the worst in this movie. I don't know why I care about these characters at all. They're not developed, flushed out characters, but they're fun. And in this franchise, that's enough. Like these movies are definitely dumber than the Halloween movies on average. But that's okay. They're a blast. Like I gotta say, I really am getting used to the amazing thing that Jason can do with just yeeting people through windows. It's also a trope of the franchise. Maybe that and fake cat jump scares and are other staples of the franchise. And I will say there's like two characters that they've started doing the thing where you don't just, you know, these teams exist, but you start to root against a few of the characters. And there's Melissa that for sure. But, you know, we see how bad the therapist is pushing Tina's you know, very nice mom to Jason to get away. I mean, boo. Thankfully, karmic justice is a trope of the genre, but it's nice to see Jason get wise and use his power tools to get his karmic justice on this terrible man. The best part of these films, and this one specifically, are of course the actual fights, and unlike the garbage that is Freddy vs. Jason, this somehow feels a bit grounded in this world, and watching Jason fight the psychic powers of Tina are highlights. It's wild seeing Jason's both annoyance and eventual fear of her powers. Her squeezing his mask and choking him is pretty solid. Also, Jason looks pretty good design-wise in this. His best look is the sixth, obviously, but the makeup and special effects make him look pretty scary. His exposed ribs sick which pales in comparison to the next film that we're going to talk about also there is something nice about the full circle story about her calling to her dad and him helping save her by sacrificing himself his undead self it finally shows his daughter how much he did love her what a nice sentiment for a semi-silly horror movie so now we start to get to the bad ones friday the 13th part 8 Jason Takes Manhattan. So this movie gets a ton of flack for misrepresenting what actually happens. Jason is not just hacking up Manhattan for the whole length of the movie, and it starts with all this cool city setup footage, an amazing 80s rock song, Darkest Side of the Night. This movie like should really be called Jason Rex Havoc on a prom boat and eventually makes a pit stop to Manhattan. Also, if you're wondering why New York looks so gross and weird, kind of like 1989 Batman, it's because they both came out in the same year. Also, there's a Batman movie logo in the back of the cityscape, which is fun. But one of these movies is way better than the other, and it's the one that's Batman. Also, weirdly, this is one of the few times a flashback actually shows something new, like Jason actually drowning. How about that change of pace? Also, just logistically, how can you grow up in Crystal Lake, live there, and after like eight murders around there, not know about them? Like, some someone lock that place up and stop letting dumb kids get around there, and maybe perhaps the murders will stop happening over there? <laughs> also, the way that Jason is reanimating this one, hilariously dumb. Like, an anchor hits a power line, and then 
bop, and zaps him back to life again. So Jason is all about harpoons, apparently, too. I think this is like the third or fourth movie with one of those and one of those kills. And he looks terrible in this movie. Like he's sopping wet all the time for no discernible reason. And I will say with all this water stuff, just pay attention to that note when I talk about a different movie in this list. And I get he's in the water sometimes, but he shouldn't be wet 24-7. Eventually it should dissipate a little bit, the wetness. Like, stop being wet for the whole movie. It's gross. And not like a good, scary movie kind of way. This franchise has adorable dogs. And they all make it. And no one else will tell me otherwise. This film is right on par with those. So back to back, we have some terrible dads, dad-like figures. And we never have a bad mom in the whole franchise. But parents rarely make it out of these films. Or at least paternal figures never make it out. Like, I know this is mostly the case, especially in a lot of these I've talked about. But I really do like the Sean Rennie... It's another cute couple, and thankfully they make it through the movie together. Like, are these last few movies romantic and uh, loud as Valentine's Day movies? Just, you know, food for thought. There's a ton of fun music in this one, which is a nice change of pace for this franchise. And it's all 80s, you know, rock music. It's not soundtrack music, but it's just fun. I'd say another case of the characters are all a bit fun. You know, the rock girl, the boxer guy, Julius is pretty strong. The geeky film kid. I feel like I relate to two or three of these characters and they never last long. But, you know, what does that say about me, right? So I don't know what's really going on with our visions. You know, it's like this drowning ghost kid. It's this weird actor thing where the kid looks like he's seizing sometimes. Sometimes it looks like he's just swimming and you know, they don't know how to pretend to make him drown. And they're all trying to connect to the OG source material, which it takes a while to wonder why she's seeing visions of a random kid drowning. We know it's Jason, but does she know it's Jason? We do eventually get the explanation that we deserve where she gets pushed into a lake to learn how to swim. And of course it happens to be Crystal Lake because everything's Crystal Lake. And dead Jason ghost kid almost drowns young girl Rennie when she's trying to learn how to swim. And there's this mental block where eventually she realizes what's going on. But, you know, it, it takes a lot to get there to make the connection. And, you know, maybe he recognizes her because of that. Maybe he just recognizes the kinship of a fellow drowned or almost drowned person, I guess. I don't know. He just looks too gross and wet for no reason. And I feel bad for the kid who who was stuck in this role. I mean, it's strange. I definitely like the part where the teacher is being seduced by one of his students and he has the most unconvincing in the world. Well, hey, <laughs> and the, like his voice almost goes up. Like, I don't know <laughs> if that was the point or it's just weird. I don't know. I always hear that line and I laugh and I, I, I assume you're supposed to laugh, but just like, well, hey, what, what's going on over there? It's wild. I think this version of Crazy Ralph is okay. He's close on par with the Gravedigger from the sixth film, but like he's a little too suspicious and we know it's not him. I don't know. It just, it felt like they try to make this guy not just creepy, but almost menacing. And since we as an audience know it's not there, it, it just feels a little lost in tone, I guess, right? I do like the camera guy having his moment of, of Velma jinkies, but instead of saying that, he gets electrocuted, set on fire. Part partially blown up and that's the reason that the boat sinks also there were so many kids that jason does not kill because it's a whole class of people and we only see a couple we see a good amount of deaths but not enough to be a whole grade of kids graduating i don't know how small the schools were but if this was my high school you might need multiple cruise ships to fit everyone from our class just throwing that out there but they quickly write all these extra people off by saying the ship took on water and got almost everyone. And <laughs> there's a part where someone sees Jason and he tries to climb. 
which sounds like a pretty good idea, I guess. I mean, obviously, you could hack the thing down, which is what I thought was going to happen. At least both times I watched it, I thought that was going to happen. But instead, he, like, is the fastest climber in history and, you know, somehow catches up to him and throws him down. And you almost know that, you know, Julius is somewhat developed and they just throw him overboard. Like, you almost are aware that he's going to be back. Also, another water point that I want to bring up eventually, when they do get to New York, Jason followed them. Did he swim? I personally like to think he parts of the Caribbean walked on the bottom of the ocean floor. That's my assumption. So once Jason does get to the city, it's, it's pretty fun. You know, he's killing a bunch of tough guys. There's a scene where he flips his mask off and, and scares a few people, but we don't see it at the time. But it's pretty funny, whatever it is. You know, stalking on the subway, he's punting boom boxes, messing around with diners, and just chilling in the sewers the steam room rock punch going back to the boat a little bit is one of the better kills in the movie drowning the terrible stepdad in his awful gross barrel and of course the boxing kill i don't know where this ranks but the boxing fight has to be in the top five jason fights i think two are from the sixth one is from jason x and the knockoff carry one but watching jason punch julius's head clean off in one strike truly hilarious one punch man energy and he punches it like right into a dumpster once they find out that the father figure is a dick who child traumatized his ward and gave her fear water like thankfully his death involves liquid and drowning in some way and there's some good old karmic justice but back to the end i know i jumped a little bit there so the jason face reveal and death is it's something the ghost kid vision, like the Wallace and Gromit level of face animation, it's brutal. Like somehow the water acid burns and sets him on fire and disintegrates him into a real boy? <laughs> and they kind of just leave him and somehow he's back to Jason in the next movie. But the best part of this movie, it ends romantically and their dog who ran off earlier in the movie, who's adorable, is still alive. It's a true Disney ending if you ask me. So Jason goes to hell, the final Friday. Okay folks, it's the last one. <laughs> sorry i can't help it when a couple of these are just labeled in this way where it makes you think they're done but like you know they have more to come it's <laughs> i don't know what they were thinking so if there's one thing i love about this movie it's the beginning sure we have no explanation as to how baby jason became jason man again but you know i guess forget about that part for a second the fact that the government lures jason with a random girl taking a shower to blow him away is hilarious also before we talk about the one good part of this jason looks terrible and gross in this one he has weird scraggly hair like the mask is blended in and burned into his already burned face I, it's just stuck i don't really know but the military coming in from all directions and lighting him up like john morgan in red dead redemption is something magical he gets shot up all the time shotguns and all they call it an airstrike to blow him up it drastically drops off after this jason possessing people with a thing in his heart that gets to random people it's awful and you can't include mythology new to the franchise in the ninth entry halloween did in the sixth and it was bad even the latest Star Wars trilogy added new force powers that were not universally accepted. Also, when Jason is getting shot at and makes all sorts of like grunts and noises, like what is that? He never made noises before, so why now? Baffling choices in every sense of the word for this movie. 
we all barely see anything of him for the rest of the film. And seeing people like fall apart and have to transfer over the Jason Jean or whatever, it's gross and I hate it so much. Of all the movies I own, this is the one I would not find a reason to rewatch if not for this podcast. Like in the beginning, why does the guy have to eat the heart to get at it first? Disgusting. And he's just bellowing a ton and no one else hears it. There's security around. How does no one hear this? And he gets some random lights that shoot out from Jason and somehow hit him. I, you know, what is this? It again? Come on. While I don't care for this movie at all, I really do like Creighton Duke as a character. He's a cool bounty hunter-like character, but same thing. Obviously, I know why, but plot-wise, if you think of it as a connected story, it's strange to introduce this character so late. Ugh. I mean, come on. I wonder if I would have liked this movie better if all of the Jason hosts, like, put on a mask and became him more. You know, if they're talking about, you know, he's just wearing bodies all the time, like, you know, why does he try so hard in the first nine to different bodies still look the same, but of course in this one, he just ran in people and whatever. It, it, you know continuity annoying i will say the jason is dead marketing thing at the diner it's pretty fun it's kind of like what you would think would happen like in the real world that someone would try to market off something like this i mean let's be real that would happen and this scene has creighton duke in his best at the diner and in the same way of introducing this new character it's annoying that they have a relative of jason introduced this late like at least halloween had them come out somewhat earlier and continued to use them this is a one-off storyline that is never introduced again not developed it's just gone and done partly because this franchise as we know it is not visited much more and never will be a part with all the legal battles you know of who owns it so like when he transfers after eating the heart he kisses it into the next person that's what i get out of at least it's a tongue or something he puts in people also like can anyone see that as jason the reflective surface is it like some reverse vampire thing because initially like oh maybe it's just relatives but then whoever the guy with the glasses is, he sees it too so you wonder how many people just avoid mirrors i guess when you're half hosting jason also unrelated it's just awesome how Stephen Williams, who's Creighton Duke, like looks like he's just having so much fun in the role. Fun fact, he was also in the latest Birds of Prey movie in 2020. But random question, how does he know how to kill permanently Jason when no one else did? Avoris has to rebirth him and somehow they can also kill him. The supporting cast is also pretty rough. I feel like I don't care for anyone outside of Duke because he is just so flamboyant and fun. Also cop-wise, how is the Voorhees house not like locked down or anything? Any random person can just come back and walk around. And, and it's a little weird looking back that nothing's happening at Crystal Lake in this movie outside from the beginning. The movie is just gross for no reason a lot of the time. And look, fake Jason Reporter guy going ham on the police station, the diner after. It's good-ish action. Like bargain bin Terminator. Like, you know, the $2 Walmart bin version of this. The birthing transferring rules for this change like three times throughout the movie. And you need some consistency to come up. But being born and dead mom is, I guess, unique twist. It's gross, but it's unique. Also hearing that Duke has a relationship with Jason in the past. That's great. I love that idea. But you know what would have been nice? Oh, I don't know, seeing it. And Duke is rarely seen in action since he dies pretty quickly. Ugh, it's like the Captain Phasma Boba Fett thing. Hopefully, the latter will be addressed at the end of this month in Mandalorian Season 2 with Tamura Morrison, you know, being cast in this as seemingly Boba Fett. But it's the old rule, right? Show, don't tell. I don't want to hear that they had a past. Like, show me a flashback clip of them duking it out or something. I mean, no pun intended, duking. <laughs> but... You know, we get to the end, 
we have a light show Jason happening, but it doesn't end there. You know, he's being like punched in the face by this, this nerdy guy and lights are coming out after every punch and they have to like crane kick the dagger into him, you know, and then he's dead. The whole, it's just a weird thing. And, you know, Neil say this was a teaser to the crossover movie, but you know, this movie was garbage. That movie was garbage. But since I have to, unfortunately, here is me talking about the worst film in the franchise and look this may be a hot take a controversial take but i think freddy vs jason is the worst you thought i was gonna say jason x <laughs> nope freddy vs jason is painful especially if you are a friday the 13th fan and not a nightmare on elm street fan so i think this is what bugs me the most here this is a freddy movie that jason is in i never got the allure of nightmare on elm street and part of me doesn't want to talk about it but i feel like i have to encompass the whole franchise and this is it he really is just a part of this movie. It's unfortunate. The characters all kind of suck. Bending the guy backwards in the bed, Jason does that. It's a pretty good kill. I get all the Freddy Krueger I need, though, with Scary Terry. It's that one episode of Rick and Morty. That's all I need. I get it. I get the thing. The whole thing of having fake connections to other movies, but they're all just in here. I hate fake connected universes, and, and maybe it's because I don't know anything about Nightmare on Elm Street, but like I looked. I was like, are these characters real? Is there some connective I don't know about of course there's not it's just annoying that I went out of my way to look it up because I wasn't sure annoying the Freddy scares throughout the movie just don't do it for me I think even the Jason scares are kind of stupid for the most part because he like yeets people in the next century twice it's ridiculous and not in a good way we know he's strong but he's not like throwing people to the moon strong like come on I guess it's sort of cool how they have like a kill competition and a bit of exploring Jason's childhood trauma in his dream it's neat enough it's kind of cool when they light Jason on fire with some Everclear they're drinking, and he still chases the guy through a cornfield to kill him, and he kills a ton of people all at once, which is one of those things that they make a reference to in the Scream TV show, saying, you know, our killer is not the Terminator, he's Jason, you know? And and it's just fun that they clearly subvert that with him killing like four or five people at once. But, I mean, every time I think about this film, I think it's so weird, you know, with the Freddy possessing the smoking kid, you know, maybe it's I don't get the Nightmare movie. But this is just stupid with the Freddy jokes. I like my killers silent as the grave. Also, is Jason really afraid of the water? This is what I want to point out. He swims in multiple movies. He apparently swims all the way to Manhattan in the eighth movie. Like, what is this? Sure, he drowned, but he swims all the time. He kills people in water all the time at Camp Crystal Lake. I guess some of the bullying backstory and flashbacks is nice, but there's just so much crap involved in this movie. I don't appreciate the very few good parts. So the final fight had a ton of zany things and Friday the 13th is weird, but not this weird. Like they're shooting off like O2 torpedoes. I just, I just don't get it. I'll finish the way I started with this is not a Friday the 13th film. It's a Nightmare on Elm Street movie that happens to have Jason in it. Hard pass. Jason X, maybe there's continuity, maybe there isn't. But either way, the beginning is fun enough. The credits are a little misleading, kind of thinking it's the hell thing, but this is a sci-fi film. And Jason looks good, at least in this film, which is a nice change of pace from the last few that we've talked about on this. Like the fight with the military, his javelin kill, it shows him as a true terror, and all the more better with this fight for our very early final girl in Rowan. They both fight, and soon both end up in some super cheesy sci-fi movie. Fun fact, according to Jason X, we're gonna lose hockey in four years, and you know, I believe it, that's my source of future foretelling. I do like that frozen Jason gets to hack off an arm and make us realize how futury it is, and that 
Apparently losing an arm is not a big deal in this future that we're living in. The cast of this is massive for one of these movies, and you know that really just means there's going to be a high body count. The jokes are dumb and all over the place, and this movie is at its best because there is no doubt that it does not take itself seriously at all. Some of the kills are wild, and it's crazy that this movie really starts out with one of the best ones, maybe in the whole franchise, with sticking someone's face in liquid nitrogen, freezing it, and then smashing on the counter. Also, weirdly enough, Jason is pretty good at killing with only one eye, because you see right before she, like, takes his eye, his garbage stabbed out eye. The whole tactical squad going against him is pretty good, and they do have a, a clever intro to virtual reality that gets a nice payoff in the final act that it's an amazing callback to the franchise that we'll talk about. But I like that unlike some of the more recent films in the franchise, just them all being on an isolated spaceship, it makes these kills feel less random. And there's a bit of tension with everyone being locked in the ship together that you're not used to before. We have seen him fight teens, cops, and we see him lose awfully to a massive SWAT team. So these military heavily armed security force, it's a nice change of pace for him to have an adversary. There's a pretty good, uh, he pushes a guy off a thing and is spinning on a screw having jason have some hand-to-hand combat it's a nice change of pace i mean maybe he learned from julius right also the pun of saying what this guy's status is is that he's screwed Mwah. beautiful writing it's a fun group of wacky characters and it's a good time seeing them get killed off like not you know developing these characters at all but in this one i don't really feel like that's a big handicap It's a zany world of slasher fun and we're all just along for the ride. I like that they make jokes about the guy being in love with his robot and then like, look, he is. Rowan is probably the most adept final girl that exists in this franchise, like by a mile. And while it's nice that she's experienced, it does not feel as earned because she starts as, you know, the one who has this skill set already. Like, it's nice to see our final girls grow and have to learn from their experiences and hardships to defeat the killer. The Jason upgraded robot killing machine fight is spectacular. And for all the right reasons, it's over the top. It's just some stupid combat action bat flips. You know, there's a part where she turns her handgun sideways. Cheesy one-liners galore. I know it's dumb. It's like Sharknado. I mean, she shot off every ligament Jason had because why not? And then she just blows up most of his head for added measure. Somehow the nanobugs end up fixing and improving Jason to become what is known as Uber Jason. And man, does he look the part. Super futuristic and intimidating. I mean, it might give Darth Vader a run for his money. And he easily dispatches Robot Lady. Thankfully, her head survives. And you think that he's blown up and sent into space like fat chance. It's more than that. He punches through the ship while in space because he is a beast at this point. I have to say that, like, franchise reference of having the VR of a campground and two counselors who they say it exactly to a T. They just want to smoke pot and have premarital sex. And it's truly amazing way to end this franchise in that full round circle way as we know it. Even blowing up in a spaceship does not stop him. But the leader of the military people, Bronski, like space tackles him into orbit of Earth 2's atmosphere. Once again, it's just like a fun, weird way to make things happen. Like the two of them burning up together in atmosphere. And of course this movie ends with two kids kissing at a lake who are going to go check out Jason I mean what a masterpiece you could almost say (laughs) I don't know how you could go about it you could maybe find some way to connect that and saying it's chronologically in place with 
2009's Friday the 13th of maybe this ended, he went back to normal Jason, he saw his mom die in a parallel Earth, and he's Jason. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm speaking too much, but imagine that would be a fun little way to chronologically watch all these, right? So 2009, we're talking the reboot, the movie I was most curious about if I actually liked or not. And it starts off in a nice way by recapping the first movie in a quick, but nice and digestible enough fashion. So they go the route of Jason exists, but the horror story is fully based on his mom. And you have some camp exploring. The whistle trophies are really nice, fun, like, add. And not going to lie, some flushed out things are kind of cool adds to the lore. There are some bad ads too, don't get me wrong. But this is not one of them. It does find a way to throw you right into the action where we all know what's happening next. It's a small group of people. They're not particularly exciting or unique. But it's a nice way to see it all a bit more modern. Some of the fun jokes are still there, but it's a bit more gritty and serious. Not unlike the Halloween Rob Zombie films, which, oh, that's scary. Now it is some slightly unique thing hunting for a marijuana field and I, I never really know is it Jason's marijuana field is just a random thing I don't know because a few people are looking for this field of marijuana but it really doesn't matter since now they are at a camp and you know stuff is gonna go down it definitely is a bit more visceral and gruesome than previous films and there is this weird notion of traps and and torture with the sleeping bag being tied above a fire to burn alive and there's a bear trap it's not bad or anything it's just different it's a little bit jarring this new mentality that they've given jason it's also a bit odd having this first group people pretty much as useless underdeveloped blood bags to be killed off and the worst of it all obviously is the eventual realization that he takes prisoners like it does not seem that way at the time and it's shot away where it looks like he's killing this girl but that realization is probably one of the weirder things about this. And Baghead Jason looks pretty whatever visually. Not gonna lie. In 2009, we can't do better. Okay, fine. So once we get acclimated to our real main crew of kids and our mysterious plus one, we have a pretty solid cast. Aaron Yu is the highlight for me with his the best donor we've seen since part three. But Supernatural's Jared Padalecki, it's a good ad. He's a bit big physically, especially compared to Jason, but... Thankfully, it's not too awkward when they fight. And Danielle Panabaker from The Flash is great as our seeming final girl. We do have some weird locals, and they're always somehow more weird, stereotypical rednecks in the more modern, grittier movies. And once again, the Rob Zombie movies for Halloween 100% go this route. We have, in essence, a more male version of Melissa from Part 7 in Trent. You know, the rich, douchey guy who is just the worst. But sometimes we need a teen to hate. It's part of the genre, and when he gets it, it's kind of fun time to semi-root for the killer in that moment. He does really have a much better look with the hockey mask, but I don't get why they made such detail to his crazy all-over-the-place hair. The killer cut, which I own, is a bit more provocative than needed, but that's what you get, I guess. I don't think there's a whole lot added to this, but even a few minutes more, and I'm all about it. I felt the same way with the Wolverine extended cut. I think they do more there, but... It felt like it was a subtle ad. Also having Jason quickly kill off two people, it's a little bit fast so early on, but him using a bow, an arrow to kill someone that leads to wounding someone else, it's pretty good. And the knife through the dock, kind of picking her up with it. Like it's kind of a memorable kill and they're, they're good. They have the technology and special effects years after that they didn't have in the previous few films. It just feels like the charm is slightly gone. The cheesy fun was lost in place of a darker, grounded, grittier tale. And they find a way to explain how he gets around places quickly, the tunnels and bell system. It's neat, but I don't want that in my slash movie. I don't need all this stuff to be explained and grounded. That's not the point of these. It's not to be too based in reality. 
The Trent kill is super strong with it seeming like he's almost made it out and eventually he's nervous about if the driver is Jason, but having Trent like impaled on a truck driving away, it's the best way to kill your terrible loser character. More slasher justice. When Jenna, Panna Baker's character, dies, like I'm shocked. I was surprised and not because I'm just a Flash fan, but she really did seem like the final girl. Like she had the makings of a nice final girl, but somehow she's gone. And this becomes a family survival movie, which is pretty rare, I think, especially for the genre. The Jason fight is good. The wood chipper, classic like Fargo and Golden Circle vibes. I know one of those came out after this movie. Don't at me. But it's a bit weird that this guy, Clay, can like body slam Jason and hold his own for a long time. It's not a bad movie. It's not a good movie. It's just sort of there is how I think I would describe it, which is what I kind of expected. But I needed that refresher to remind me that's what it was. So let's talk a little bit about one of the things that we've briefly mentioned. Never Hike Alone is that fan film that a few people like to compare when they talk about this series because it's pretty high quality and a little bit about the future of the franchise, right? I would be remiss if I didn't bring up this fan film because for what it is, it is a very good quality. It's one of those movies that loves using GoPros and like action adventure as a plot point, you know, with a guy climbing on rocks and stuff. And I saw a zombie movie. I wish I could remember what it was that was like that a few years back but for the life of me i cannot remember what it's called it starts a bit whatever you know but the chase parkour stuff is neat enough and jason looks phenomenal in this and getting thom matthews to reprise his role as the best tommy jarvis don't know how they did it but <laughs> they did it somehow and it was a really nice touch i think that's the reason people like to consider this semi-canon even though it definitely is not this is available for free on youtube and definitely it's worth the watch if you're a fan of the franchise especially as the most modern thing that has happened so far but talking about modern things the future of the franchise it's a little bit in jeopardy with a ton of who owns the rights question this same issue is keeping the video game adaptation at bay and they're not allowed to make anything new because apparently they had some jason x stuff made but cannot be released because of who owns it the latest i've heard involves two different groups it's either lebron james and his production company fresh off another nba championship We're in talks to co-produce this film, whatever the next version of it is, be it a sequel to something that's happened, a reboot, picking up at a certain part, who knows. But I've also heard talks with Blumhouse doing it, and imagine if they could do for this what they did for Halloween, which is a phenomenal modern version of it, keeping some historical basis in the previous elements of the franchise but ignoring some of the sillier ones like i gotta imagine whatever happens will not involve eight nine ten maybe even seven for the friday the 13th probably they gotta include six i would think but there's a ton of revivals and projects happening that you know we never expected so i will hope for something and of course something good but until then let's take a look at my list for the definitive rankings of films in this franchise At number 12, no surprise, worst thing by far, I'm sure some of you people will not agree with this, Freddy vs. Jason, it's garbage. Maybe it's, you know, I wonder how it ranks on someone who's a nightmare on Elm Street. They did a fan list of their best films, but if it's a Friday the 13th film, this is the worst, not even close. Number 11, Jason Goes to Hell. Duke cannot salvage this film. He's a great character, but it's just too weird with the body jumping, and as hilarious as that beginning is, It's barely a Friday the 13th movie as well. And you can't have lore that late into the franchise. It's just not right. The first and probably the earlier era of these, I gotta go Friday the 13th, The New Beginning for number 10. I mean, it is a Friday the 13th movie, but in the same issue of 
sort of an identity crisis if your Jason is not Jason how can it be a Friday the 13th movie the dance scene with Viola is great I like that there was a Tommy Jarvis but in my mind the mask thing could have been used more and you know I guess you could say the same about the sixth one but especially if they were going to set up however they did they wanted him eventually to become Jason that didn't happen but the mask thing could have played into that and we never get that payout and I'm kind of blaming five a little bit because I like four and six to some degree number nine it was tough to put this film versus maybe some of the sillier ones Friday the 13th has all the bells and whistles and looks great looks the part of a good Friday the 13th film it's just I miss that cheese that charm and like they did with the Halloween remake in 2018 like it just feels right it feels good and this feels close but some of the grounding too much stuff you know, it just kind of stinks. And it, you know, it, it's unfortunate that there's some nice parts in this. I really did like the trophies of the counselor's whistles. Some of the actors I really liked. It just didn't have it. <laughs> Number eight. It hurts my heart to have to put it this low. But if you're thinking of good and bad, Jason X is not a good movie. Is it a hilarious movie? Absolutely. It is a ton of fun. And I absolutely have rewatched this movie probably more than some of the other ones. It's fun. There's no way around it. It's just so weird and different. And for me, that's good. But if I'm trying to be critical, I cannot put it higher than eight. Number seven, we're going to go Friday the 13th, part eight, Jason Takes Manhattan. I really felt like maybe I could have put X higher than this, but I feel like there are some unique kills. It feels a little more like a a Friday the 13th movie. Uh, It hurts me to put it here, but I don't know. (laughs) I'm even wondering recording this if I should flip it. You know what? I'm going to flip it. I'm going to change my mind. Jason X at 7, Friday the 13th, Part 8 at 8. And here's why we're going to change it. We are doing this because Friday the 13th, Part 8 has the Julius boxing punch-off head thing, which is fun. The boat's okay. It's just they're so lazy at times. And I hate, the. I hate, I hate, hate, hate how Jason looks in this movie. He's sopping wet and gross. Uh, you know there's it's fun when he's in the city but you can't you can't excuse cannot excuse the pull out under the rug of calling it jason takes manhattan but mostly it's jason on a boat i think it's better than friday the 13th 2009 remake because it has a little more fun to it but i think truly jason x is better than this cannot put it higher than that though no more changes to the list i swear number six i'm gonna go friday the 13th part seven new blood knockoff carry the psychic stuff is fun it's a little too weird which is why i can't go higher than this but it's really fun seeing the two of them face off and you know it stinks that freddy vs jason was so bad because this fight was actually pretty good and it was really fun watching jason deal with the psychic powers that be around him and being very unaware of what's going on and there's a lot of fun teens involved in it as well so you got to give it a little love and the love story is really nice in this one so now i'm not my cup of tea but i like a little romance sprinkled in can't be the forefront but a little sprinkling in is nice Number five, and I was really surprised that I ended up putting it this low. We're going to go part three. Yes, Jason gets the mask. And that's a big thing. Shelly's fun. Uh, There's, you know, some fun characters that are in place here. But watching it, I felt like some of the earlier ones were just a little bit more clever. Some of the later ones were just a little bit better look top five out of 12 is still pretty good and i appreciate part three for what it is the biker gang is lovely it just things are a little too sporadic in part three number four friday 13th 
is going to be the final chapter. And I think it's because the Tommy Jarvis stuff as a kid, great. I love the, you'll probably have noticed this trend. Anything with the psychology is a little interesting to me. It's a little exciting. The teens are awesome in this. Crispin Glover is in this. The dance. Crispin Glover's dance might be the reason this is up to the fourth best of all time. I mean, it's not, but it's high up there. The Jarvis family, seeing that family bond is really nice here. I, they kind of went that route in the remake in 2009, but it's a little more well-developed. And you see the whole family, not just the brother-sister thing. Gotta give props to Friday the 13th, the final chapter. This may be controversial. Friday the 13th, the original one, is only number three for me. And here's why. Hear me out. Kevin Bacon gotta love it you gotta appreciate the surprise at the time was a big surprise that you know who is this killer and it's this unassuming woman but the dialogue is pretty cringy and that's funny but it's funny in jason x2 and that's only up to seven this is a good movie friday 13th it just doesn't necessarily stand up the test of time that other movies do in this franchise but it's really good don't get me wrong no shade to the original but why did i put part two a little higher and part two is going to be my number two because the psychology aspect is fascinating the chemistry between our two leads awesome i love the the goofball in this movie and somehow he lives because of (laughs) drinking and over drinking that's wild it's such a change in pace for the franchise but the psychologist of his awesome look having her psychology in three different parts seeing she's interested seeing her take on jason and seeing her use that to defeat him with the sweater dressing up like his mom it's an awesome movie and the only reason they can't put it higher because i really wish i could put it higher is because they have so many counselors that are just gone and never accounted for and it doesn't matter seemingly that half of the people in the movie live to tell the tale you know i just wish they had killed a few more people off lasted a little longer and it felt more at home with everything else but really strong number one you guys may hate it i don't know how you could part six jason lives the best tommy jarvis we have campers at the camp right mind blown this is the only movie that does that how is that possible the chemistry between you know our two leads is awesome having a real rapport with the head of the police with our main characters having some of the kids have real talking points and personalities there's not as many counselors but they're developed the paintball thing is a hilarious change of pace in the randomness of the kills that they make up this is a pretty unique fun one it's just well done and the battle with tommy and jason at the end phenomenal and part of this is because i liked having developed characters and tommy is really all we get and this is him at his best no disrespect to Corey feldman also very good but this is clearly the best version we get and the closest we get to a true antagonist for a couple films for jason does one of those not count because it's a fake jason obviously that's why that movie is so low part six jason lives masterclass of the franchise just what it is but another spooky episode, folks, put to rest for now. Bump, bump, But seriously, next week's episode is going to be as much of a surprise to you as it is to me. I don't know what I'm going to put out, but we'll figure it out. But two weeks from now, we know we'll be talking Halloween. And maybe we can answer which of these two film franchises is better in Michael vs. Jason. The crossover film we will never get, but we would be... So excited if that came out. That'd be right up my alley. Also, one more little news treat for y'all. No tricks here. The reports of Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire joining Tom Holland and Benedict Cumberbatch in the later Spider-Man is pretty exciting. You know, Spider-Man 1 and 2 have been great. I've enjoyed them both a ton in the MCU. And and now we're going to bring the OG Spider-Man to the MCU. Pretty exciting. Live action Spider-Verse. Who would have thought, right? 
Just saying. Pretty awesome. Could be the thing we do not know that we needed, but we really want it. And if they can do this, maybe they can find a way to bring back the OG X-Men cast into MCU. Yeah, we can skip the Fantastic Fours. But imagine if we can find a way to get Patrick Stewart, Michael Fassbender, Hugh Jackman. I mean, the possibilities are endless. But before getting too excited on a superhero movie tangent, I would be remiss not to mention where you can find all this info that I've been putting out on social. All of our social media platforms, check it out, either knickknack underscore IC or knickknack movies. And to continue listening, we are available on a ton of platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google, and so many more. Look, you love this podcast, I love this podcast. Tell your parents, relatives, everyone you know. Rate us five stars, write a review, talk about how immaculate this is, how festive and fun we've been this Halloween season. It would be just peachy if you could do that. Just do it for me. Come on. But thanks as always, folks. Thanks go out to our listeners, but also our host, Buzzsprout. Wouldn't it be possible without him. And you know what? Until next time, cinephiles. Are you not entertained? I think this is going to be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. I don't like goodbyes. Let's just call this See You Later, Alligator.